Hey, welcome. We are with Jay Faith. This is with Faith and Jason. We have a podcast, right? And uh, we're going to get started right away. We were already kind of conversing. I was like, wait, wait, let me press the button. Um, so we are talking about AI and racism and AI, right? And you reminded me of that story about uh, when people were not able to be seen, right? What, what was it? It was like they walked in or there was also so, the, the automatic hand washing thing too, you know? Yeah, right. It, it was. Just, I, I think in both cases, it was like, if you are a black person and you're walking into the room, AI did not know that you were a person. Therefore, it would keep the room dark, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think for the hand washing ones, I mean, that used, that was from a TV show years prior to this incident where that was literally the joke. There was a black scientist and a white scientist and like the black scientist would never be able to wash his hands. He was like, what is going on, right? And it, it's funny because like, of course, when that came out, we're like, oh, this is so funny. AI is not really a big thing yet. This isn't, this is impossible. Fast forward to a light issue. And then, you know, the whole reason why you're talking about this is actually the project that you're working on right now. Um, which you should definitely talk about. And I think it's so important that we recognize that. But yeah, why don't you talk about uh, that project you're thinking about with AI chat? Yeah, you know, I think the thing is, um, I, so I'm black, but I did grow up in a pretty white town. And then I have this real mixed family of white folks in my family and biracial people in my family. So my whole life, I've dealt with quote unquote white talk versus black talk, right? Um, and one of the things I saw that pretty, pretty, right away when I started using ChatGPT4, the latest iteration of OpenAI's AI system, um, and I also noticed this with Bard and other AIs, um, is that they're really white-spoken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? yeah. like they, they some proper people, these AIs. Um, there's no contractions. There's no, like, this is, like, as legitimate white talk as possible. So I was kind of thinking to myself, what would it look like if an AI spoke black? Right. Like in the sense that when I go and speak with black people, I won't necessarily be talking how I'm talking to you. Right. Right. And it, it's not even like a conscious thing for me. It's more of like, oh, yo, let me like start talking in a way that you understand, you know, just like if I'm talking to people from England, I might start a little Englishy yeah. because I want, you know, to make sure they understand we're vibing on the same thing, you know. So I was thinking about, like, is it possible to try to have a conversation and basically build an AI response that's inclusive of black language. Absolutely. Right? Of, of, of urban language also. And I want to be respectful of this. I mean, I, I want to be clear. I'm not black. I'm Korean American, sure. born in LA, right? Um, been really lucky to actually, you know, be adjacent to Crenshaw where mom had a wig shop. So congratulations. Like my livelihood actually comes from black women supporting my mom's <laughs> business, right? And, right. you know, and the thing I want to be clear, because I feel like people are like, well, like, what is blackness? And I feel like for that non-black community, it's like, it's not talking about slang. I feel like the people love to go that direction. We're not talking about abonics, which is such an old conversation out so trivial. I'm talking sure. about, I think we're talking about tone, intention, directness, the way yes. that we construct our conversations, the yes. way that we greet each other, the way that we end yeah. the conversation. And yeah. I think to your point, like, unless it's actually someone from the community talking to ChatGPT, introducing different ways of how we communicate, then there is no Blackness. In fact, like, the, the absence of Blackness is actually the whole issue that I think you're illustrating. So, yeah, I don't think it's even you, like, practicing. It's the fact that you're giving information that this system probably doesn't have, and it really yes. needs it. Yes, and that goes to the larger conversation of how are these AIs really going to be able to represent humanity if they don't mm. represent all of us, right? If they are coded predominantly by men, if they're coded predominantly by wealthy people, right? If they're coded predominantly by people who aren't out there hustling, right? And even some of the responses that I've seen where there's been folks who are like, here's a new hustle, and they'll post it to the internet. One was this guy who was like, he went to ChatGPT and he was like, here's my name. Here's my date of birth. Here's the state I live in. Find me some money. Um, and then the the thing, you know, outputted on the, the screenshot he shared in the news was, hey, here's some money that's unclaimed for you in the state of California, right? And they have unclaimed property website. And then I, you know, replicated that same prompt and went into mm -hmm. ChatGPT the next day and put that in and ChatGPT responded differently to me. <laughs> right? It was like, I cannot provide that information. That's like too sensitive, but you should know their websites like unclaimed property where you may have money, mm. right? 
it turned out I actually had like fifteen hundred dollars there, so I definitely oh, there went you there. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, by the way, you might want to check it out, um, because like, it's like a whole bunch. Of like, like if you had a, a check that, uh, you know, like a dividend check or something like that, something that got lost, or yeah. um, if you had uh, money coming back to you from a rental, yeah, it'll go to this state thing in California. And so, you know, a whole bunch of people, I searched other people's names and birth dates and found them had, they had money. (laughs) I was like, wow, there's a whole bunch of money here. And you're going to drop that link in the description. (laughs) I will. I'll put the link in there so everybody knows that you can find some money at unclaimed property for California. For other states, it's different, but there's definitely a whole bunch of cash there that goes back years uh, for for me. And most likely because I move a lot, you know, so. Oh, that I know, but you know, when we talk about you know, like racism, the lack of representation, ChatGPT, do you feel like in this story it's almost a neutralizer? The fact that hey, here's information that it gave you that you weren't aware about, that no one told you about. But wait a minute, like there's probably a lot of other people in this community in the same situation, but we were just never told that this was an option. Do you feel like but that I helps think- neutralize some of that? Probably what happened was that hey, you know, this person did a news article. And, uh, you know, and we, I've seen this with one other instance as well, mm. uh, where as soon as there's something, you know, money making around JetGPT, there's like a huge news article about it that then spawns mm. 100 or 500 to 1,000 new articles. So my expectation is either the AI is learning through those new people coming to the AI and saying the same question over and over, or the open AI team is making adjustments to the AI to block this particular thing based off of the news stories that have come up. Mm, um, there was another one that just spawned like a zillion articles because one AI company in San Francisco wanted to hire a prompt engineer and they were willing to pay like 350000 like up to that a year for salary. And so all these news articles were like, you could be making over a quarter of a million a year doing AI. And it was just like a big news story just because one company had put out a job listing. And I was like, somebody sent it to me, like, you should apply. And I was like, I'm sure they've got, like, a billion applications now. (laughs) Like, every single news article has talked about this one job. So, like, the odds of anybody getting are really low now, you know, in the sense of how many people have applied. So I think that that's part of what I want to talk about, too, is that in AI news, there's a real limit of – of people don't necessarily understand it. And, you know, I've talked to you for years about machine learning. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like probably four, three or four years ago that I was like, okay, tell me more. Um, <laughs> you know, right? Um, and I was like, okay, I think I get this a bit, right? And then I went and looked into it more and then kind of saw that there was this development, especially when OpenAI was funded. You know, we're like, okay, this will mean that within five years we have something that we can kind of leverage that we can use. Right. Um, and so I think it's really interesting. But I also want to talk to you about something else because, um, you know, I hate it when people are always like, here's this black thing, Faith. But – <laughs> there's this Korean uh, kind of American show that I saw and it reminded me of all like your stories. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of stories. What show? It's called Beef. Oh my God. I knew you were talking about Beef. We just started it. We're like three episodes <laughs> in. But like, I, I was, was, I was traumatized. Like, oh my God. I, I was just like, I mean, okay, hold on. There's a couple things, right? I think, like, number one, like, I, I'm from Koreatown, right? Like, I am literally from where they're filming. And I was telling yeah. my friend, I was telling my friend, you know, she was just like, oh, my God, you have to watch it. You're going to love this. And I was, I was just like, like, 10 minutes in, I was like, this is really traumatic to me. Like, the fact I know, I was about, like, I don't know if you really should watch this because it's so similar to what you told is. me. It is. It's the immigrant story, the, the business is failing, the sons have to figure out what they're going to do, you know, being unsuccessful, uh, conflicted, like, feelings about Christianity and with yes. Korean Americans. Like, it is such a humongous thing to us. And so I was watching this being like, I love these two actors. Like, I need oh, to support God. These two they're actors, because they're phenomenal, but I also love A24. I feel like they're pushing some great content, but I was just like, do I need to watch my own trauma unfold in my life? But I will say, again, I'm only three episodes in, but that yeah. man who has that really long hair with that really big beard, who's like the cousin to the main character, I was just like, wait a minute, why am I not acting? Because we have <laughs> to is you there do. a future you for me do. to be like a bearded Asian dude? I was like, I'll take any jobs from there. But it has been a great show. And so I, I do appreciate you thinking about it because, yeah, it hits so many of the right chords. I know I'm not done with it. I know there's a lot more to go in, but it was just so weird 
I'm in this weird part of my life where I'm suddenly seeing Asian queer people. I'm seeing people who are not successful. I'm seeing people failing. I'm seeing people trying to figure out what they're doing. I'm like, I've never had this before. So I feel like this, yes. is, this is the last two years where I'm just like, wow, like I'm literally living this and no one, this is weird. No one's ever t tells you how to process this stuff, you know? No, yeah, the cultural zeitgeist, right, of, of when um, certain communities kind of cross over into mainstream awareness and knowledge of like, hey, this is very specific, right? And and, yeah. and before, you're just Asian, <laughs> right? Well, we, yeah, we're like, um, no, we're before we were just Asian, and then we're like kind of whatever, and then kind of thrown everywhere, and then we had like stop API hate. And yeah. now we we're now accepted in media, and so it's just I think a the weird, K-pop. I think K-pop is a huge driver. Yeah. Right. The last ten years of having K-pop, you know, just be everywhere globally, be really accepted, having people walking around singing in Korean. Yeah. Don't even know what they're saying, right? But they love it, you know. Um, you know, and even going all the way back, I mean, this is several years ago, but Gangnam Style, Gangnam Style, right? Yeah. Yeah. That dude was like. You know, like he really kind of launched this thing of, hey, look at this culture. This is so fun. It's influenced by all these people. It, you know, we got 50 style. We got this style. We got all this kind of stuff. And now people are like, I really love it. And so seeing now a more, and I will say that it is, um, I finished beef. And it's, it's unusual in, mm. in, in, in its scope. It's A24. So as long as you know A24, you know that th something's going to be happening. <laughs> Right, like A24 is a studio that's not very like prosaic. This is a story that goes from A to B. You know, it's very much like, whoa, we're gonna shock you. We're gonna yeah. kind of upset the apple cart, and they do a really phenomenal job. Because I was like, kind of second, third episode, I was like, Lord, I don't know if I could watch this. <laughs> in the sense of like, I have trauma from the church too, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, my experience of being inside of these spaces and having people, you know, really compete with each other and not support each other within, you know, cultures of, of you know, communities of culture, right? Yeah. But the way they turn it on their head and have this exploration of, of, of wealth and privilege, um, you know, and I had had a, a difficult moment, if you will, with a, an actress in the real life, and her mm. name is Maria, Maria Bello, and she's in this show. And so I was like, Oh God, I'm gonna have to fast forward every time she comes on screen, so that way I can deep, you know, down her Netflix cred. Um, <laughs> Saying those names and being awesome about it. I am, I am, I am. She's like, "What did I ever do to you, Faith?" And I'm like, "You don't remember." <laughs> um, but that's how it is when you are me and you live with highly superior autobiographical memory and you can't forget sure. things. Sure. Um, but years ago, I was trying to get her to, you know, really talk about being pan. Um, being part of folks who aren't gay, people who aren't straight. She kind of is no labels type of person. And, you know, I had done some back and forth with her management, eventually got, no, we're not interested. No, don't invite us to the White House. No, you know, thanks so much. Mm. Um, so I was like, fine. And then later I noticed that, like, she had liked some of the tweets I had done. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then about a year after that, I did a whole tweet kind of storm around Black Panther because there was a big controversy about the lack of LGBT um, people in it and that they had filmed a LGBT scene of a kiss between two same-sex characters and then cut it because they felt that black audiences couldn't handle it, right? Um, and so I did a whole big thread on Twitter that ended up going viral and having literally 20, 50,000 retweets um, about the first woman king mm. um, and a, a woman who uh, was a huge king in Africa, basically at the time of colonization, the late 1700s, Queen Zinga. Mm. Um, and so she, she had wives and she had warriors and she was a huge, amazing person. I was like, this is, this is what the type of movie you should do. And I mean, who can, what can you do? You say this on the internet and then, you know, Maria Bello, who you've been talking to behind the scenes, I'm not other folks, decides to produce a movie starring Viola Davis, which becomes the woman king. And you get no credit or acknowledgement. 
at all. <laughs> Which is why I don't tweet for shit no more. Um, <laughs> like, mm. Because anything black folks and black creators have done on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, it gets lifted by white creators right. who then yeah. will, you know, make a role for black women. And Lord knows, you know, I don't really say anything when this is all out there because I love Viola Davis. Like, I love my life. <laughs> and I've met her um, at events and she's just the most gracious, kindest soul. And, you know, so it, my mouth was shut all the way through her Oscar nomination season. Um, <laughs> so I didn't mention this to anybody um, in the sense of like, it's fine, it's fine. And also I know that, you know, you can't really get credit for tweets that you make that somebody else right. goes, oh, great idea. I'll go research right. that right. myself and develop a story and write it myself and all that. It's just one of those things where you introduce stuff into the world um, as a, a creator of color and often see it's taken by folks and, and reinterpreted. So I, that's part of the reason why I think beef is so important because that Korean experience, the Korean American experience, and then we're also very clearly talking about the Korean American LA experience, right? right? So like Orange County, K-Town, like this is super like, I mean, if you think about it, it's like really rich in, in narrative, right? The story right, and, is like, and your story is really rich of like, hey, I grew up with my mom selling stuff to black women and we yep. got like, who has that kind of life? <laughs> I feel a lot of us, but I, I will I'm, say. I'm just saying will, that's cool. It's cool. I and mean, I know in our, I know in our private conversations, like we even talk about like the Korean riots and how like it's been decades, but it's still something that we actively think about and we should think about as members of these communities. But something I want to call out, and it's so interesting as we're kind of talking about beef and then sharing your experience as a Black creator is, it's funny. I think, you know, we talk, you're right. You talk about K-pop. It talks about joy and celebration. Korea's a small country. Like, let's be clear here. And so yeah. the fact that it's so mainstream that people speak better Korean than I do is hilarious. The thing <laughs> that I find amazing about beef, and I think it's so relative to what you just shared with us earlier, is beef is an example of Asian people who are strictly told to not be angry being angry. And you're seeing uh, how spitefully can be. And it's just so funny that, like, that's, that is the journey that we're going through, right? Like, repressed anger in these different yeah. ways. But here you are sharing a great story where essentially you're not being credited for something that became viral and exciting. Yes. And you can't be and you can't be angry, Faith. You're not allowed no. to be angry or upset. No. You're, you're forced no. to do it. Yet here we are talking about a community of Asian yeah. Americans who are allowed to be angry and are being applauded for being angry and spiteful. Like, it's, I think it's and weird. only for the first time. It's for the first yeah. time. And it's what it's a because we get to see something we haven't seen, it becomes really awesome. We go, wow, right. this is new, right? right? And in reality, we've had angry Asians in our life before, right? Absolutely. Right? There's been angry Koreans, right? We uh, there's a whole guy with rockets someplace. Um <laughs> so <laughs> there's that guy. You know, I'm talking about that guy. Rocket <laughs> talk about that guy. We're good. You keep going. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it was interesting because I just read this story today. I was, I was, I mean, we're about to do the show and I was like, what? This is the story I read today. Uh, but there's a book coming out about a black woman who was raised in Pyongyang. Oh, she, oh, like a biographical yeah, this is, story? Yes, this is like her oh. memoir. And she has all these oh. photos and I was like, what? Because it's like this little black girl with all these Koreans and they're North Koreans. Yeah. And they basically her dad was a dictator in Equatorial Guinea. Okay, okay. And he was in Africa. He's he's being attacked and for being a bad guy and doing all this stuff, real bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And so her family takes her and her dad gives her to the the grandfather of the current leader of North Korea. And he basically adopted this black girl and her sister. And she's like, this is my adoptive family. And I didn't really understand that, like, everybody was, you know, she's like, and so it's interesting. I guess, you know, her feeling is, you know, she she left there, came to America, just trying to understand the differences. And then against that backdrop of blackness, I'm very interested um, because I have seen evidence sometimes that anti-Western groups or anti-Western people, you might say, are anti-Western, right? If we blanket statement there, sometimes are uh, more inclusive of black people. Hmm. By the way, um, just FYI, like in Cuba, right, Fidel Castro will be identified as anti-Western anti by a lot of folks. He, you know, allowed Asada Shakur to come and settle, and she became like a hero to the people there in Cuba. And she was hmm. a black uh, political person who was, uh, you know, being sought for arrest by the FBI for her engagement with the Black Panthers and doing all this kind of stuff. 
and then she goes to Cuba and is, is beloved and well-respected. Other folks like Amiri Bakara, I think is his name, probably getting that right. Nah, I always misspell people's names or mispronounce my mouth. My sense of humbleness, it must, it must be there in the world at times. Well, I'll but, um, correct it afterwards. We're totally fine. But keep going. <laughs> yeah, but this is a great black uh, theater playwright who also has a really rich relationship with, with Cuba and is there. And so there's really a history that I'm very aware of within black community that these, um, that many countries that I'm taught of that are hate America are actually countries that love black America. So it's always been a kind of interesting dichotomy to, you know, navigate. Um, in the sense that I, I'm proud to be here and, and I want to see a beautiful thing for my country and all the people who live here. Um, at the same time, I'm also not drinking the Kool-Aid, if that makes sense, about like everybody saying, oh, these people are the worst. They hate us. Like, I just want to make sure that like that's true. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it was one of those things where I thought it was really interesting that this woman is coming out having this, this story of a, a black person who's raised... Um, by a North Korean leader who has a lot of controversial history, right? And that this is somebody, she's like, I loved him. And you're like, what? Right? Is it as simple as this, the narrative that was developed for us by the FBI in 1950s? That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, know it's, saying? It's, it's so striking Especially when you factor everything in, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. And I think it's so striking that you're sharing, like, this memoir that's out because I actually think about some of my favorite content creators now, and a lot of them are actually Black women. Actually, it's, it's always a Black woman who actually goes to Korea, Japan, China, and yes. she has to fall in love. And they actually have biracial or multiracial children. And, and they, then what they're sharing, which I love, is like, here's my culture. These are how our our, our cultures are fusing together, right? And I think a yes. lot of it, funny enough, not surprisingly, is done through food, which I feel like is the, the best way to communicate love and expression. But yeah. I'm seeing that more and more. And it makes me so excited because at the end of the day, you know, I think in addition to acknowledging Blackness, I think it's so important that for these Asian communities being like, yeah, and this is a part of us now. There is no exclusivity. Like these are people who are now also Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and they now oh, have a more so complex important. background. And it's and so our cool are... that. Our histories are real linked. I have some papers that I was I did at UCLA when mm -hmm. I went back to school in, in 2020 um, and 2021. I, I wrote some papers, and one of them that I wrote was um, about history of the of the Indian Ocean slave trade. Mm. Um, and I think ultimately I came up with the title: "They Were Slaves Too." Um, you know, Asian and Chinese women's capture during this time period. Um, and so a lot of people, I don't think, know that the majority of slaving was happening kind of between like 900, like when people get boats, they basically yep, start yep, slaving. Absolutely. Right. Um, and that they're going to the coast of Asian countries and enslaving these women in millions of levels, like the Chinese people start fighting back. There's wars that are starting to be fought. And then it seems that there's now a turn to Africa because Africa, unlike China at that time, unlike other countries of Asian descent or along that Indian Ocean, they all have really big standing armies. Yep. Um, and at that time, Africa doesn't have a big standing army of folks who can march. And because it's a continent, doesn't have like a unified response system. So it's a lot easier for the slavers to go there and build up uh, economic infrastructure, right? Of, hey, like you're gonna make money, we're gonna make money. Who cares yeah. if we're taking people who are terrible? And there's also even a, a narrative, like very similar, I think, unfortunately, to the lies that we get see told to folks uh, prior to the, the European Holocaust, right? Oh, hey, there's this wonderful world. You're gonna go, it's gonna, you're gonna take a train, it's gonna be great, you know? All right. No, it's not, right? You're just like with people, you're gonna get on the boat, you're gonna go over, and we have a whole bunch of people over there. Absolutely not. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, this lack of knowledge. So I, I, I've always wondered about that, like how many hundreds of years or dozens of years does it take for the people in Africa to understand what's happening to the people who've been captured? Like, mm -hmm. what, when does that, you know, when does somebody pop up and be like, they made us slaves? Like, like you know, like even in the sense of even, you know, very similar to the stories you hear about Native Americans of not understanding when the you know european colonizers are here going oh we want this land they're like sure you can take this land we everybody shares shit like all good 
Like, yeah. you know, we'll be back in like oh, maybe a year or maybe 10 years, you know, right. <laughs> like because there's a nomadic sense of uh, mobility for a lot of the tribes. Right. Um, and not for everybody. There's some people who are, you know, especially when they first land and, you know, Jamestown, that type of area, there's folks that have been there and stay there. But it's almost a sense of like, OK, we're going to just send you west. We'll just make you somebody else's problem. Right. And not is there a concept of, hey, like those native people, do they even know the people in California? Right. I'm pretty right. sure they don't. Right. Like there's no Internet. There's no telegraph. There's no phone. There's no way to communicate over thousands of miles of distance. So, you know, you don't even know that there's people that are being impacted by you going, oh, yeah, you should get out of here and keep going. <laughs> you know? um, or and, and what are those responses that people do to invading influences? Right. And not just yeah. invading conquerors, but folks who want to change the. The world that you live in. You know, yeah, so I, I think it's it's important to talk about the anger that those type of attempts engender, right? That's what beef is really like. Yo, like you've all known that model minority myth, right? That all Asians are perfect, they all kick good grades, that all these things, these are this is a myth that's out there. It's not necessarily true, and it causes a huge amount of mental health stress and anxiety, yeah. you know, and here's two people who reflect that <laughs> in right. the show and it's like yes thank you because what we're saying is we don't get that we don't get to see a 360 degree view of our lives right, right. and it's, it's such a good reminder about being like look this isn't healthy i think that's the biggest thing right like we're watching this we're laughing with it and you know it's, it's funny because you know when i my older brother and i talk you know we talk about like our the the traits that we have inherited in our families is like anger and like stubbornness right and so of course like and i think that's so deeply rooted with like the asian immigrant story but yes. when you see it live and people are kind of laughing like i'm not gonna lie babe. i watch this shit i've been like yeah i would totally pee in someone's bathroom like if they piss me off i would totally do that like i mean like screw you here we go but it's not appropriate it's not right but there are challenges that we have to acknowledge and i think for me, the way I really see this, at least for the series now, is being like, for Asian Americans who are watching this, I'd be like, okay, like let's let's be blunt. We're not great about talking about emotions. We don't. Yeah. We don't. We don't recognize mental health. So we need to recognize as, as as much as this is really funny, this is a reminder to ourselves that we need to be realistic about well, what are we doing. It's not saying that we have permission to be angry. It's permission to be like, wait a minute, put ourselves no. in check, and what are we gonna do about it, right? Well, I think that I think you know, you're, we had brought up or you know, briefly talking about you know, stop a a uh, pi hate, right? Um, Asian American, Asian Pacific Islander uh, hatred that was happening. And, you know, a lot of what I saw, you know, we saw a real rise, I feel, in news coverage happening after the pandemic. But from my recollection, I was seeing attacks on Asian American elders before the pandemic. Right. Like, I do remember, like, I feel like that yeah. has been a reality. Maybe it's just because we're from L.A. or we're from Southern California where there's that's like something we've seen. And we've seen this real difficult engagement between black and Asian communities. Um, but, and I felt it was, it might be a response to kind of the conversations around race where mm -hmm. I noticed, uh, an increased docility, if we will say of whiteness after black lives matter protests, right? <laughs> Give them credit for what's due. After you burn some shit down, they're like, Oh, can I help you? Um, you know, mm. in the sense that white people within like a year or two stopped doing some of the most annoying things they've been doing my whole life. Like, what are some of those examples, Faith? What is it? Wait, like not like, touching your like, hair? Great. I'm so glad that finally stopped. So glad I finally yeah, no, stopped. It stopped. It stopped. It went away. It's been a problem for years. Uh, you know, for years and years and years. I've been telling you. And of course, it, you know, they started touching my son's hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great yeah, problem. problem. I gotta love it, right? <laughs> I know. We were someplace. This is why woman was like, I just, and he she was, a, oh, was with some Democrats, and, and she was like, she had like blue hair, it was like super, super liberal. And I was like, wow. And he was like, and I was like, yeah, I know we don't get this with conservatives, <laughs> but and, and, and it is beautiful and it's wonderful. And I get it that you want to touch, you know, somebody, da, da, da. but he's so sensitive. Like I can't touch his hair. So why can you, you know, he hates people running, you know, doing that. Um, and so I was like, just, you know, just look at the curl real quick. And that's what I told her. Cause I was like, he really doesn't like people touching his hair. Yeah. Like, he really, really doesn't like people touching him. Right. Wow, that's a shocker, right? Like, and, and I feel like that's such an important thing that we're not doing nowadays. Like, you don't have to yeah. hug everybody. Like, did COVID teach us nothing? Like, y'all don't have to touch. We're good. 
we're good. We're good. So I wondered, I, I kind of wondered if there was, um, you know, especially with folks that the increase in black homelessness and the likelihood that Asian American elders aren't receiving the same, you know, messaging about black people, right? Either that black folks could hurt you because right now they're angry and burning stuff down um, <laughs> or, you know, hey, there's a mental health crisis for black America around hopelessness. And this has led to many more black people who are engaged in, you know, potentially harming you. So let's keep, you know, a wide berth. Right. Yeah. And those are conversations that are happening inside of black America. Right. Inside of, you know, black communities, people are like, oh, don't walk down this street because we have a person yeah. who, yeah. you know, we need to keep, you know, we love them, but we, we just don't walk past their place. That's what we do, you know. And so that and very respectful. Right. People are like, we respect our unsheltered community. Right. But at the same time, they're not necessarily going to go close, they're gonna be keeping some boundaries so that way they can not trigger somebody else's mental health issue that comes from proximity. Right. Again, Asian American elder doesn't speak English. He's been here for 30 years, possibly even more. Yeah. Doesn't, you know, engage with cultural conversations, dealing with other people outside of their culture. So for me, it's like, it's kind of like, not it's not at all their, anybody's fault to get beat, right? It's more of how do we limit that from happening by educating folks about those dangers that people are more aware of sometimes in black communities. And we're not being racist to talk about it. Right. As black people, we say, hey, this is a problem. We want to address this. Hopefully, you know, we're also thinking about that in a loving way. Yeah. Right. Of We want to see these people be, do better. We want to see everybody do better. Um, and I really felt that the whole response ended up being kind of like, let's do some protests and let's do other things that actually increase hostility towards black people. Yeah. Which then exacerbates the cycle. Um, and and. Unfortunately, I think it's still continuing a, a, quite a bit, but it's being maybe it continues to be underreported by the people who experience it. But I'm I'm still seeing it. Like I'm seeing it on TikTok. I see it in news, and a lot of times it just feels like it gets erased by the news people because they're like they'll be like a woman harassed on the subway, but then yeah. if they show you the woman, she's Asian, and the person harassing her is black. Black. Yep. They don't I, bring it up. <laughs> I wanna I wanna be be fair, right? Because like. I'm uncomfortable. Like, this is such an uncomfortable thing for you because, like, you know, I'm from LA. You know, again, I talked about my mom in Crenshaw. You know, I moved to San Francisco. Like, we, like, yeah. literally, like, the Tenderloin and Chinatown are next to each other. Oakland has been forced to always migrate both the Asian and Black communities, you know? Yeah. And and I think for me, there's there's so many layers of this where I think the first part is our Black and Asian American communities don't usually interact with each other. Like, I think yes. we have, we have, like, it's and I want and it's funny because I think you know we thought we think about gentrification you know I grew up as a working class family right like we were like not in the best of areas so we're also displaced and kind of forget where we can live and land just like yeah. everybody else and so I, I do feel like there's yeah. that sense of being pushed out and you know I think what I recognized is a lot of our Asian American communities tend to lean conservatively because like we talk about, you know, you may think for a lot of our Asian communities, when we think about our elders, you know, when you think about how do you fit into your country, then you take an ideals of who is in charge. This is not a conversation about Republicans or conservatives, so forth. But I'm just saying that's what they, those are folks who are in charge. Therefore, you lean that way. A lot of Asian communities are also really heavy within the Christian faith, right? And so, of course, leans more right. And so I think because of that, I think they've always had this conservative lean and so when we talk about things like mental health, I'll be clear, you're right, Faith. Like there are so many conversations that I have with my family being like, yep, you don't go here. You don't go to this location. You don't go here at night. It was always clear of this is where you're not invited. And this is where it's not gonna be safe, right? But I feel like that's standard talk. When we fast forward into like, you know, all these attacks and you're right, it was, I feel like it was stereotypically, I am stereotypically, I feel like consistently it's like older Asian people or Asian females, which I feel like has also been on the rise. And, yes. you know, a lot of folks who, you know, who are making these attacks are going to be folks in the Black community. But I think it's always been a really big conversation of mental health, right? Yeah. If it's someone who is homeless, and let's be fair, like, COVID's bursted our homeless communities. In SF, we literally displaced all of our, our homeless communities when we were hosting mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. It was the stupid thing we could have ever done. And so here's everyone roaming around with nowhere safe, with no services. And so, of course, when I see these attacks happen, you know, you're right. I think 
on, on our community were like, well, what are we doing with the police? What are we doing to increase security? And I'm like, wait a minute, let's not go that direction. We should be thinking about how are we like, we, we abandoned this community. These are people who actually need mental services. The whole mm -hmm. intention is to support them. You can't jail everybody, right? And I feel like yeah, that's a and there's that horizontal, there's that horizontal hostility too, right? Like you know, going there, there's this hostility between Black and Asian communities that's already existing, right? Yeah. And and there's really it doesn't they don't kind of go there with with beef. I don't think that much at all, having watched the show. Um, and and I get that because it's already a little expansive and kind of you know got a bunch of stuff going on with a bunch of stuff right, mm -hmm. but it, it's kind of interesting if you look at it after you know and we can talk more about it after you finish it um, because I think that when I look back now knowing that there is no blackness in it like at wait, all wait you're telling me that there are no black characters in this at all no I'm I'm looking I'm I I just checking my memory banks. We could we could check we could check the IMDb and stuff too, but yeah no it's like one of the only things I've seen, um in like ten years that doesn't have a black face in it. <laughs> so that's funny, right? Um, I mean it's kind of not funny, but it's also like kind of what we're talking about as far as like how people are like oh if it's a black thing will he have an Asian face, right? Yeah. And like that's true. Like if we look at Black Panther. I feel like there's a delivery boy or some shit at one point, but that's about it. <laughs> like, you know, like you don't, you, everybody, you know, and I think people like the most recent Black Panther, they were like, let's put in, you know, Latinos and they have a whole, you know, kind of plot. That's another culture plot. That's mm. not necessarily a white European culture, but it's different. Right. But it's still not Asian. Right. And so I do think if you look, if we were to look in just, you know, exploratory little research there, we might find that a lot of black, is Asianless as far as film, TV content, mm. and a lot of Asian American and Asian content is blackless. I saw an exception if we, you know, depending on how broad we will be with Asian, but South Asian, um, that movie I was telling you about, RRR. RRR, just, yeah. They had a, a just, a, you know, almost the whole thing is in, you know, Indian. It's India, right? So there's mm -hmm. no real black people there a lot. But they do have a whole bunch of European culture people. And then at one point, there's a band that comes and plays. And so they make the drummer black. And it's like, he doesn't even talk during the whole thing. But he's like, when the white people are being white, <laughs> the black, they cut to the black guy. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, he's very much like, oh, here we go with white people. Like, he get, he adds to the scene. And it ends up, it's a, the dance scene, uh, which is a really big scene. And the song for the dance ended up winning an Oscar here in America. Um, but it's, it's like one of those things where I thought, oh, this is really enriches this story of Southern India's uh, experience with British, you know, um, with fighting the British and trying to gain yep. independence, it, it, it gives it even more heft having a, a black guy go, oh, yeah, you get them. <laughs> go ahead. Get them out of your country. Like, you know, you show them, you're, you show them you awesome. Right. Um, and so I do think and I, I encourage folks if they're you know thinking, I think sometimes people are worried about adding blackness to their work. Right. Maybe thinking it's tokenizing and problematic or things like that. But I think it's it's great if there's a chance to show the mutuality of struggle. You know, that there are people we, we have we have many times we can go someplace, you mean, as people and like in the workplace and other places and have solidarity with another person who is that background. You as an Asian person with black people, me as a black person, with Asian people, that's happened in real life. Like when we're in a white workplace, right? <laughs> or when we're in a white uh, LGBT organization, um, right? Like the people, I think that there's a little bit more banding together. And I maybe it's just us. I'd say later generations. I don't know that for other my my mother's generation, other generations. Mm. I feel like towards like like maybe the '90s, 2000s. That's when more of us were like people of color, right? And like going, you know, we have a commonality and solidarity among us because we're engaged in a largely white European culture. Yeah. But, and I and I feel like that itself is like I think the basis of why we're talking about AI and the whiteness of AI. Right. Which is yeah. I feel like we're now on that new frontier. Like here we are talking about media, right? And the news. Yep. 
But at the end of the day, like the reason why I feel like AI is so critical is because to your point, it's a new narrative. And if we're mm-hmm. not the ones literally being a part of the writing of it, then we we're, we're not going to be included in this, right? And I think um, if they're like, it's very amusing to me sometimes with like liberal progressive stuff because I, I <laughs> and it's conservatives are amusing too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there's a lot to laugh at, but um, sometimes I see a, a situation occurring that is so. I wasn't able to get through it, for instance, but I did start to watch this movie Avatar: Way of Water. Okay. I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. It was so offensive. I was throwing up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> with the, they were, you know, pretending Indian thing. Ah, you know, they, it was Plains Indian. They, they, it was too much. They took a lot of culture and didn't credit shit. Um, and so I was like, I can't see this. And the fact that these are also white folks playing these roles, covered in blue. Pretending to be Indians, it's, it's it's bridged way too far for me. <laughs> uh, but as I was watching it, I was also seeing like this guy. The main character is like Sam Worthington. He's a like kind of white man who's like a military jarhead dude who goes to you know you saw the Avatar right the first one. I I saw the first one yeah. Okay, so the first one you see that he goes and he you know yep. finds the, the lovely world and becomes part of their people. Okay, so he, now he's like grown up and he has kids. But in the very beginning of the movie, he's, like, yelling at them and, like, line up, soldier, like, to his children. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, how funny that, you know, no matter how far ahead in the world we are, we're still going to have these people who are going through that narrative struggle. Mm. <laughs> mm. But you got to put them in blue, though, so it's going to be so different. Right? <laughs> you know, in the sense of, like, how often have you seen that story in American cinema? Like, would you not think we could get past that in 2023? The, you know, the angry dad who, you know, needs to be stopped yelling at his kids and, and, you know, share his feelings instead or, you know. And I just thought it was so interesting because the whole thing is, is narratized in this real, you know, for all I know, it could be a, you know, backstory is him trying to be a better dad and be nicer. But I, I just thought, why do we have to tell that story again? Right. And, and, and repeat these consi- consistent, you know, even though you're saying we're totally not Western, we're including all these people, really what you're doing is you're making our stuff you, right? Like you're taking like blackness, brownness, nativeness, indigeneity, right? You're taking culture and then being like, but here's how white people would do this, right? Which basically is like we nothing has happened. <laughs> like there's no real consciousness change to me. In the sense of folks going, oh wow, I recognize difference, right? I'm not, I'm not now as a white person becoming this person. I think that's a really dangerous thing for people to be like, I love something so much, I'm now, I'm now black. I mean, that was a thing what three five years ago. I'm so no, we've tra- seen it. Trans- trans- we've seen this. We've but seen it. I, we've I we've seen a bunch of people still you. doing that. I mean, I feel like everyone's going to continue doing that, um, but. Yeah. What would you prefer, though, right? I feel like it's a, not a great question, but it's a fair question. Yeah. Do you, would you rather have, like, you can have appropriate... Uh-oh, pause, pause. I'm recording. There we go. Okay, go for it. I mean, what would you prefer, Faith? Now, would you prefer to have cultural appropriation, or would you rather have complete erasure where you're not even in existence? I mean, that's the thing. I, I refute the fact that those are our only choices. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like, but we're literally in the conversation now, right? Like, there is no equal playing field. There is no invitation. I, I, I really, truly believe that white people benefit from being exposed to other people's cultures. And I, one of the things I really think too, especially in the last ten, you know, years, I've noticed a, a difference, and it became crystal clear recently when I was watching this show called 1923. Um, which is part of this Yellowstone universe and it's kind of Western and, you know, people might even think of it as a right wing or moderate show, but mm-hmm. it's doing a whole um, part of the show on the residential boarding schools that Native Americans went to and is showing the experience of, of one woman who is going through that, who's being beaten, who's being sexually assaulted, who's having all this stuff happen. She's taken from her tribe. She's beaten for speaking her language. Right. Um, and the the idea is like, oh, well, nobody wants to see that. But when you look at the people doing the beatings, they're nuns, right? And how often have we seen that story in 1923 for other cultures of women? Mm. 
right? So Irish women, American women, European women, African women, we're all experiencing this thing with this one group of people, nuns, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I'm not saying, oh, Catholic Church is terrible today or anything like that, but in that moment in 1923, things were being done by the church that were abominable. Yeah, absolutely. And it people, I'm not sure how many Native Americans are aware of what happened to the Irish women, how their children were taken if they were born out of wedlock and, and left to die in the wilderness, right? All the way into the 60s, yeah? I don't, I'm not sure everybody's aware of their own pain, basically, and, and, uh, and other people's pain. They don't know theirs, and they don't know the world's, and then they don't see how those things are linked, right? So I feel like that whole kind of narrative of we're still here, they didn't get rid of us, it's very uh, unrealized. It's a, it's a limited way of viewing it, right? Because we are part of a human cycle of right. several hundred thousand years of development, right? So to, to be like, well, these people are racist, we're going to re-educate them. Like, you obviously just not do the history, because anytime anybody tries that, it never works. <laughs> like, it's, it's so interesting that you present it that way, because I feel like there, there are two different camps. I think there is that one camp being like, there is this collective relative trauma that we yeah. all share, and we need to recognize that. And that's why it's important. But I feel like there's other happening, like, you know what, Faith? Like, I don't care. It didn't happen to me right now. Therefore, if it doesn't hit me, affect my day to day, then it means nothing. And I feel like yeah. that's always the group that I'm, like, I think always gets stuck in this because they need to experience something themselves to feel like they can relate and be supportive afterwards, right? Well, that's why I feel it comes up into a, a problematic performance where people are now adopting Black experience as something that they can feel bad about instead of feeling bad about experience as, as the, the world of trauma, right? Um, and so it becomes, well, I know slavery was bad. I know you built this country, right? And sure, that I'm happy that you're acknowledging Black people doing that, and I want you to keep doing that. But I also want it to be seen not in a sense that now all the Black people, since we've been slaves, are now lower beings and you never treat us well, because that seems to be the case, yeah? <laughs> And within like these spaces where these ideas and these conversations about, about black people are consistently focused on trauma, focused on slavery, focused on Jim Crow, that makes and that's part of the reason why I think Martin Luther King and other type of black leaders focused on the positives, right? That's where they got that from Gandhi, right? They get that from other folks in the history of fighting institutions. Right, that the idea is not that we overtake this institution and erase it and eradicate it because it was, you know, what you know, white supremacist, but that we change this institution to represent all of us more effectively. Right? I think that's a lot of if you are able to present things and say, Yeah, this is that's what we're looking for, but you don't say this is because you're white. Because honestly, there's a whole bunch of colors that are contributing to trauma in this in our world, especially in America. And if somebody's like, well, that's not true. It's like, okay, well, tell me a little bit about, you know, black leaders abusing black women inside black communities. Oh, well, that's not anything to do with this. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and we have all this inter-community inter, uh, trauma that I would argue is as much, if not more, than traumas we experience externally, especially in America, right? Like, that's why I think it's interesting with these people with the beef show, right? Because they're not from the same Asian communities, right? And, the, you know, the husband is another one, different Asian yeah. communities. So they, they mix, a, a, you know, this narrative and different diversities and different types of, of pressures that, you know, kind of maybe even uh, stereotypical. But I, I think they have fun with that in a way that is, is it, that's what's cool about movies sometimes, right? You take a stereotype, have fun with it, toss it on its head, invert it, you know, see it from other side. That's it's kind of what I feel hopefully film is at its best is, is doing mm -hmm. that and making people question, what do I know? Like, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> so I feel like they could get in trouble. Some people could be like, negative, like, it's bad for us to have Asian American represented, like, with negative negativity and like, why do we always have to be dark and not be positive and stuff? You know, I. It, it has to be because I feel like, you know, it's funny that you you present it this way because I, I, I forgot about the fact that with beef, the whole premise is about class, right? Yeah. It is the conversation about privilege. And of course, I think about beef and then what I compare against, good games, which is also a conversation about class. I think about mm. Parasite, 
fantastic movie about class, right? And right. it's it's so funny because you're right, like we can say it's Asian American versus Asian American hate and violence and da 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 da, but it really is a conversation about socioeconomic privilege. That is literally what it is. And every single community can talk about that and relate to that because that's literally what we have to go through, right? Yes. And that's the reality in every community, you know, like I'm I'm part of some black girl luxury groups online. <laughs> I want to be a part of some black girl like luxury. You cannot. They're yeah. just for black girls. I'm barely fitting. <laughs> I want to know the you use. Like, give me that. But there's these, you know, sometimes they have to turn the comments off. <laughs> because they be having some you know some discussions that break out that go a little hostile mm. you know <laughs> where somebody be like i don't know why we have to be like this or i don't know why you keep on sharing this or you know things that are just negative and so they they will the admins will step in and be like hey we've had enough comments let's talk about something else you know but it's really common within even a group of folks who are all some same or similar gender all black and all interested in, you know, luxury items and wealth and these type of things, they have this thing in common, but their access to that thing varies. Yeah. And, and so because of that, they have a conflicts that I think arise naturally that are not, you know, long lasting or anything like this, but they're just kind of like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know? The irony of me of this is like, when we're talking about like, you know, our Asian elders being attacked by the homeless community, the black homeless community, it's funny because I'm like, we're all poor. Like our age, like our Asian immigrant elders, they don't speak English. Do you think you can go that far in this system in America when you don't, you can't read or speak? Oh, no. I tell you, I don't think a lot of black people know. I don't think a lot, everybody black knows this, right? I think again, because of that limited, uh, like, you know, connection with folks and not yeah. knowing, not going to people's houses, not having them to your house. So like people, that's part of like what we have to do, right? And get like yeah. either black Asian solidarity, more, you know, more of us mixing it. Maybe that's happening through the miscegenation cycle, right? And that's the way we'll do it is more people are dating and eating the food, you know? And I've seen this, you know, some like, you know, um, the barbecue guy, Roy. Roy Choi? Roy Choi, yeah. Like yeah. I think he's done some, a little black stuff of like trying to do black, you know, solidarity and stuff like this. So. I think it's one of those things where we just need to push it and really be like, these are two communities that historically in the United States, especially have a really strong affinity. Right. Yeah. And, you know, my grandfather, you know, he was in world war two, but he had friends that were in Korean war mm -hmm. and he was like a lot of black soldiers were there. So there was a real bigger, that's part of where that comes from. When we come back to LA, a whole bunch of those folks came back to LA. So a lot of LA is settled by folks who were affected by or impacted or fled that war or et cetera. And so a lot of the black people were in that war. And so there's already a thing there where people don't even realize, especially here in LA, that there's a Korean War veteran PTSD thing where, you know, that, and you might not know that if you didn't have a grandpa who was around like, you know, 1940s and 50s. Yeah. And a lot of folks, a lot of black people don't, right? Because of I, how health works, because of how, our access to insurance and class and all these different things. We don't have that historical record to touch base with and be like, oh, wow, you knew Koreans like 50 years, 70 years ago, black people, we've had, we've chilled, you know, yeah. and that, that's probably a reason why, you know, your family had the story it had was that there was a knowledge already. They didn't go, oh, this might be a good idea. It was, they knew this is a good idea. Right, right, right. right. Somebody did somebody do a, a news, a documentary on Korean hair, black hair thing. Did you see that? No, but now I want to see that. I feel like I, somebody did this. It was like, uh, you know, black, like a, it was like talking, maybe it was a news article or something like this, but it was like basically exploring the fact that a lot of uh, black hair things are owned by, you know, Korean communities. It kind of, it was a, kind of came out of a bad thing. A couple of years ago, there was like a mm. black woman who was like accused of stealing a wig or something mm. in, a, in a, a, a Korean store. And then like the store got protested Mm. And and people were like coming after the people. You remember? This was on TikTok. Yeah, I actually remember seeing that, and they like, they became super viral. There was a lot of like attacks back and forth. Yeah. So out out of that, there became like a little exploration of like I don't know if you know, but this is actually a thing of hey, we have these folks in our community, and so there were some folks that were doing some good work. I think that was very positive to create a historical narrative of we have a solidarity cycle here. 
There's yeah. these are folks, because I mean, I mean, <laughs> in my grandfather's people, he was like, they're the best. All the all the other ones are. Mm. <laughs> wait, wait, your your grandfather <laughs> saying the Asians are the best, and then everyone he else was saying there? Koreans. Koreans are the easiest to deal with. That's what oh, black people. A lot, of, a lot of black people say that internally. Well, hold on, hold on, nobody hold on, else hold on. around. So just so you know. <laughs> Only because we shared this. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. It's on a podcast now. No, it's funny that they shared it. My, my mother actually raised me where she was just like, you know, once she had her workshop in Crenshaw, she was just like, Jason, I just want you to know, I love black people. Black people are my favorite people. And then the white people can be right underneath them. But always remember that black people are the best people. And I was like, thanks, mom. I'll forever yeah. remember that. <laughs> right? I'm saying, I feel like this is a thing. So there's like a bit of a kind of respect that kind of is a little bit more there. Um, not any, you know, I don't think that, I, if I, you know, it could be, again, Southern California folk, people who are from this area are from California. And like how, especially for Japanese Americans post-internment, there was, you know, a lot of conflict and like trying to regain status. So I feel like that. Japanese and black, like Japantown is not necessarily a place where black people go, you know? Well, look, um, let's even go further Chinatown, back, right? yes. Well, yeah. think, to your point, right, you know, we talked about, you know, Korean War veterans and so forth. I think so many people actually forget about internment camps, right? World War II caused so many just Asian Americans, not even Japanese, to be yes. wiped out across the Pacific Northwest. Landowners, yeah. businesses, everything. And so when we yeah. think about these amazing, these big communities, and you're just like, we're the Asian people. People forget we were kicked out. We were we yeah. lost everything and then spit back out and being like, cool, figure it out, right? And so to your point, a lot of our like Asian communities that you know, within our spaces, they're relatively new because we lost so many, right? Even yeah. though we were here during the gold rush, we were there in the Hawaiian plantains, right? We were there all the way through. Well, um, and I'd say also there's a there is a a, a history of antagonistic violent attacks on asian uh communities right. just like there are of also black you know black freedmen communities also experience similar right but that that was highly i mean we're talking about that happening probably since the beginning of folks trying to build space and trying to build right. you know status um and it, it kind of it's always wild to me that anybody could do that who's from western who has western european ancestry because i'm like you know, you guys took it from other people. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get this. But it really, you know, it makes more sense to me now that I understand that humans don't remember anything. Um, because these people didn't remember. Their grandparents don't remember. Like, we have hundreds of years of people who don't remember and then also don't have the internet. Don't have dictionaries and, and you know, textbooks, right? So they have no history and no ability to make memory in a way that gives me a little bit more empathy for them in the sense of like, you did not know what you were doing, you know? Um, and you were part of a society that didn't know what it was doing, right? Like George Washington didn't know what he was doing, right? Like he has a wife who's considered just horrific when it comes to abuse of her black slaves, you know? Yeah. Scalding water type of stuff, right? And, and that's Martha Washington, who's the mother of America. <laughs> so, I'm not going to say that's good. I'm just going to say that that's in the context of everybody who in their world is doing the same. Mm, so do I really, am I really going to call them out or be like, oh, you're a descendant of those people or something like that? It don't make no sense. It's like me being upset with Neanderthals. <laughs> like, you know? Fuck the Neanderthals, babe. Fuck them. They try to kill us. <laughs> I'm going to be mad about human evolution. You know what I mean? Like, you're bad about human evolution. I think that people are kind of, you know, getting into a space of, you know, whiteness is bad or Western European is bad. And really what we could be saying different, I think, is we've had enough of that. And we'd like to have more of something else. Right? And we want to see more of other people. Right. But yeah, nobody's if they, it's a fucking false statement to be like Western European stuff is bad. So we're going to remake the Little Mermaid with a black person because that shit's Danish. <laughs> Are you saying that the Danish had redheads as well? Actually, I I'm know just saying, I know they have right? You know what I'm saying? Okay. They want to remake all these things with black people, but they don't. It's all the same. There's still a white property. <laughs> You know, there are black stories, there are black myths, there are black uh, tales, there are African tales, there are African-American tales, right? I mean, yeah. for love's sake, we could just reboot black movies, like bring back every single 90s movie, Boomerang, 
Redo them all. <laughs> Can we just not bring back Medea? Because I really don't want to see that back on, back on. But I, I do... can't. I haven't watched his. I haven't never watched a single Tyler Perry movie, TV show, or anything. By the way, I've successfully avoided him since 1998. It's gonna happen. Just be careful. You're gonna like watch something, be like, oh, that was great, and then you're gonna see the credits. No, I leave the room. But, I leave the room. But, but People have it thing. on. I go to another place. But to your point about like, you know, we're creating all this media. We're quote unquote diversifying the cast. I, I, I don't care. I just want it good. Can you just make sure that the acting's amazing? The set's amazing. It's still it's a lost opportunity for everybody because there's white people who get mad because they go, why do you have to remake something I love? And it's a, it's a hostility engagement development, like a development of hostility, right? It makes people upset. You could do, we can say they're not right to be upset, but they are, right? And people who are aware of the rich history of our, old, our own cultures, I'm annoyed because we have so many stories we could be telling that are our stories, and then there's a host, I mean, we're talking a a gazillion or something, of black creators and screenwriters and people creating content for for black communities, right, who are doing it, you know, really low pro with, like, not a lot of resources, and then you're going to have Hollywood turn around and remake a white-written story that Mm -hmm. previously starred a white woman, and say, well, this is what diversity looks like. You now get to be us. And <laughs> that's not what I want. I don't want us all to be the same, right? I want to celebrate Christmas and be like, yo, those Europeans, they had them trees. That's some cool shit, right? I want to be like, we got some ch- fried chicken from Korea and from black people. Awesome, right? I want us all to be like, we all get, a, that's I think when we, when we say, what do you want? That's what I want. I want, instead of cultural appropriation, I want cultural appreciation. Because we're much better than people think, I think, all around, every single one of us. I mean, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some jerks. To your point <laughs> earlier, isn't this the whole reason why we're saying we don't want white ally, like, performance? Like, this is performative, right? The whole action yeah. of the saying, you're now welcome to the club. We're not going to make it original. You're just going to have to rehash something and then see, like, if it's going to stick or not, right? Well, it's also kind of also presented as, well, this thing previously was problematic, right? So it's also, you know, we're going to redo this property and take out these things that now people question whether this is appropriate or should have been done this way, right? So it's part of a larger kind of structure, I think, of people saying, let's re-narratize our past in a more palatable version that, again, allows them to forget quicker, Right. So from my perspective, it's really harmful for them. And I'm, by them, I mean humans overall. Um, like, like that's not good. It's not good to not remember. And if we remember and we use the Internet, we use all this technology to help us, then we go places we haven't been before versus going back to places we already have gone. So I love the Bailey sisters, and I'm very happy that the Hallie mm-hmm. Bailey is, is going to have a great show, and she's a great singer. Mm-hmm. I just really re- believe that there are properties that exist in the world where, that they could have used instead to showcase her amazing talents, and that in doing – and this that this is a consistent mistake being made going back a few years to a show called uh, – a movie called Annie – and they did this as well, where there was a, a remake of Annie, and they had a black girl and a black dad. Yeah, but Eddie Murphy, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Jamie Foxx. Oh, Jamie Foxx? Yeah. I'm going to IMDB <laughs> this shit while you're going through this. Don't Josh? you remember playing Trivial Pursuit with me? <laughs> oh, it really was Jamie Foxx. Oh. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> questioning well now i have to go through the imdb be like what am i confusing I'm like great here i am like confusing two black actors great. i'm saying it happens it happens <laughs> to be fair to be fair he does have an eddie murphy haircut that's not um, fair at all that's not fair at all <laughs> i'm gonna give you that i'm gonna give you that he has a real like interesting kind of fade like uh, um, pompadour afro situation that he wears for this one the rich black look kind of thing it's funny daddy warbucks right um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that, that that's happened. That happened in that move. That was an outcry. And the response to the outcry was there's racism in the world. We need to combat it. And we are going to make fun of these white people who are upset at this. And I really was just like, this is, this is how it's working, right? We're using each other to collectively forget. 
right? And part of that means that now, again, instead of a role with a little black girl playing a real black story, we're going to do the role that a white woman and a white girl um, originated. Um, and that we're not going to ever remember redheads had issues and were really hard to get adopted and that Irish people were um, really discriminated against in this country, right? That Those ideas together can't coexist, right? And which becomes ultimately, we're going to give you black people in white roles and you're going to be happy about it. And I'm not. You know, <laughs> this just takes me back to the whole core of this conversation, which is like anger. Like, I'm fine if white people are angry about being like, you're changing my nostalgia. I'm fine with, you know, as a POC creators being like, where are my original stories? Why are we hashing this? I'm fine when people are like, give this girl a chance. Like, I'm fine with all yeah. these arguments and feelings. I think where I just get stuck on is being like, can we just be fucking adults and just profit how we feel and move on? It, just, it is right? okay to be angry. It is okay to be annoyed. It's, a, it's okay yeah. to be frustrated or concerned. But get over it. Like, there's no I think people, honestly, part of what's going on is that we are all just discussing with each other institutions that should be listening to us. Right? And so, so I mean, because Annie was years ago, right? So the yeah. fact that years ago you had this conversation not resolved, and now we're going to continue that conversation. And then guess what? You know what's going to happen. These movies are going to fail just like Lightyear failed, just like a whole bunch of these movies that have been quote-unquote woke have failed. And then they're going to say, well, you know, people just don't really like watching people of color. Right, and that's why I think beef is so important. Like because it shows you we love watching communities of color, but let mm. us see their stories, let us see their lives, because that's what we—that's what movies and TV are most about—is seeing something you don't know, right? And getting to be someplace you can't be in real life, right? And getting a world that you like never actually get to see, right? And so having that—that's true right and i feel that's where the the fallacy becomes real hard for people to digest because you know it'd be great if there were black people in space all over the place but that's not how it looks it'd be great if ai was like yo i can talk to black people but it can't <laughs> like, right it, it'd be great if like we didn't have hatred between multiple communities right but the, instead of working on those things i feel unfortunately too much of this is is not you know but that's a good thing about this you know a24 i was gonna say we should pause and and bring it up again i gotta also do a bathroom break <laughs> all right what what time always, do you want to see? what time no just uh let's i'm gonna say let's we're gonna close episode one down thank okay. everybody for coming everybody who's listening appreciate you you're amazing <laughs> you're um, clapping faith come on i'm clapping for the people who want to listen i'm like listen i welcome you uh, <laughs> it's good it's nice you gotta you gotta give love to your fans <laughs> um or your haters right they're here right <laughs> they're all gonna have feelings right that's what we talked about everyone has feelings everybody has feelings we do we do uh but thank you again for joining us and this is the end of that recording